right, Jim. Testing. Are you there? Yes, I'm there. Can you hear me? Uh-oh, you're not coming in loud and clear. Very low. Uh-oh. We have to go out and come in again, do what you did last week. And we have to go to the chat box. But try to go out and come in again. You're extremely low, Jim. Extremely low. All right. How about now? Still very low. Not like last week.
Okay, Jim. <clears throat> Let's see what you got. Hello? Yeah, you're still extremely low, Jim. Extremely. I'm not sure. You came in loud last week, but extremely low. Last week I was up with my phone. Yeah, I can barely hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're coming good. I'll, I'll meet you. All right, Jim, give you no more try. If not, we may have to go to the chat room. See what you can do, Jim. Okay. Yeah, you sound real low. Real low. I don't know what's going on. How about now? It's still low to do a show. Work on it, and I'll give you a try when it's time for you to come in at 25 after. If not, we'll go chat room, okay? We'll just type a lot of stuff because I can barely hear you. All right.
nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good evening, and welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sports and HBCU athletics. We want to welcome everybody on this 4th of July holiday week. We hope you have a good and more important, a safe week. Um, <clears throat> we have Jim. He's going to join us in the chat box. We're going to try to get him back on the line around 825 tonight. But we also have tonight my co-host, Dr. Marlo Kemp. And I'm going to ask her to say hello and welcome everybody on this 4th of July weekend. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Have a safe and happy 4th of July. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Kemp. Now, Hi, Jim. hopefully you can get in. Yes, we both come to get Jim in here. Now, uh, before we get started Hello. with our dynamic show tonight, we just want everybody to be safe. It's been a record, record number of shootings. Baltimore. Bronx, uh, Brooklyn. We just want everybody to calm down. Let's live through the holiday and let's cherish each other. Marlo, what do you have to say about what's going on with this violence and shooting? We have a moment of silence, it seems like, every week on our show. But what's your advice to everybody out there? And Jim, type yours in the chat. Yeah, I, I just wish that um, everyone would just you know, just value life and just know that it's more to, to life and living than, you know, just the violence that you think needs to happen for whatever reason, you know, that you are out here hurting, you know, each other. Um, I just lost another family member um, this past weekend myself in Chicago. So we are just praying for everyone, uh, of course, um, and, um, it's just senseless and it just doesn't make any sense, um, you know, for any family to have to, you know, go through anything like this unexpectedly. Absolutely. So everybody, again, we wish you a safe and prosperous 4th of July week. Now, we're going to get started as we normally do. <laughs> we're in a new month. Excuse me, my allergies are acting up. So you may hear a cough or two, but um, we have a new month. We have a new woman of the month, and we often hear of a player in men's basketball called Earl the Pearl Monroe. But there's another Pearl we don't talk about much. She's the leading scorer of all time in women's college basketball. Her name is Pearl Moore, born in 1957, and she is from Florence, South Carolina. Now, she played in the 70s for Francis Marion University. And this is before the NCAA and women's basketball was even sanctioned. They played on the NAIAW. During her career, Pearl Moore scored 4,061 points in her college career. She's the only player in women's basketball I've read about that's broke the 4,000-point mark in her career. Um, a lot have scored 3,000, but she is uh, 4,061. In 2021, she was just inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. This great young lady 
Mrs. Pearl Moore has often been overlooked, including we uh, named five top women in basketball a few weeks ago, and none of us even knew about her. But Marlo, give me your thoughts. Pearl Moore. Uh, Miss Miss Moore is uh, one dynamic lady because I'm just like, <laughs> once again, Dr. Burke, thanks for bringing her to the forefront because I did not hear or even know about her. And um, I'm just curious to, you know, to actually, then this is just, this is just her college career, correct? Correct. And then she played in the Women's Basketball League, a league that they had back then. It was the WNBA. But... And she was only five feet seven. She was only five feet seven, but she could put it in a hole. And what people forget, there was no three-point line. She scored this many points with twos. Wow! And she was five, mm -hmm. she was five five seven. You said about five <laughs> seven. So Dawn Staley like or a little taller than Dawn. Yeah. Wow! Amazing. I mean, yeah, she definitely deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. That's for sure. And yeah. just to put up that many points, career points, awesome. Yeah, in college, she averaged anywhere, I think, 30.6 or something like that over a college career. Uh, had game highs, I believe, of 60 or 70 points. And um, mm -hmm. I believe she'd be a top-notch player today. But it's interesting. No one talks about her. No. And she's a Hall of Famer. Huh? Yes. It'd be interesting to know her backstory, you know? Yeah, yeah. James said she played at Anderson Junior College. Uh, that's true. She, he was wondering if our uh, Fisk University's Brian Keith, a basketball player I played with, who's from Anderson, if he ever heard about it. Yeah, she played there before she went to Francis Marion. So we're going to keep up with this young lady the whole month of July. None other. Now we have two pearls. Earl the Pearl Monroe and Pearl Moa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We want to talk about it. We want to give it time tonight. Last week, the Supreme Court made a ruling six to three. This is in a response to some filings from the University of North Carolina and Harvard stating that affirmative action is, should not be on the books. In other words, race should not play a factor in college admissions. And the uh, Supreme Court, who's been after this for a while, struck this ruling down. This is going to have some effects. And uh, Dr. Kemp, we want to talk about this while Jim and anybody else can put their comments in the chat. But uh, what do you think is going to happen here, Dr. Kemp? <coughs> Um, it's going to be interesting to see like what the next um, admissions of students will be for different different universities, um, Ivy League, um, PWIs, and even our own HBCU, um, you know, universities. Um, because my take on on this whole decision, you know, I was. I was thinking, well, how many, what is their point system? How many points do you get, you know, for being a minority? And what difference does it make um, if you 
are a top-notch student, that should make a difference whether or not you are um, accepted into the college or you know the universities. But I know based on the number of minority students that some of the universities get, that will determine you know if they get federal dollars. So um, we will definitely see what will happen, especially um, this upcoming uh, school year. Yeah. And one of the things, yeah, one of the things that they are anticipating is that your Ivy League schools that this this ruling will have a big effect of uh, reducing or eliminating minorities. And as you know, when it comes to high government positions and things like that, those Ivy League schools normally uh, call or nominate each other. Most high government officials are Ivy League graduates, so it'll affect us there. For minority students, I mean, for HBCUs, there's going to be an influx, at least they're anticipating, of students back to HBCUs. The problem, and I believe the president of Howard University said it, will be that <coughs> our HBCUs are often underfunded, even by government money. So now you can get a lot of students going to HBCUs with a lack of money, as opposed to those students who were going to PWIs, getting some money, and that can create another problem. But we fought uh, affirmative action before there was affirmative action, and we'll figure out a way because we don't, we don't want to go back. And this ruling is definitely aimed at, uh, at African-Americans, the progress we've made since affirmative action over the last 40 to 50 years. Jim has a comment. There's a countersuit going on, and this is true. They only attack one version, uh, one part of affirmative action. But there's a suit now at Harvard that says, what about the legacy and influential doors getting unfair advantages? In other, other words, students whose parents have gone there and are automatically admitted on those grounds. That's also another form of affirmative action. And, and, and now Harvard is being sued on that. What do you think, Dr. Kemp? Um, yeah, that's interesting because when <coughs> you talk about the action that is the ruling that have been brought down, it's they only focus on a certain, you know, part of the decision. So I'm glad that you brought this up in terms of the legacy ruling, um, because that's something that I mean I didn't. Uh, really research the decision and, and read about it. Uh, but that's good to know that that's like another portion of of the decision that they are actually trying to, you know, trying to stop. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's I believe the, the Supreme Court may have their intention of it, but mm -hmm. I believe that there's going to be some unintended positive uh, yeah. consequences for them but some positive things that could come out of it for those they intended to hurt. So we can't exactly. passively sit by and wait and see, but we could actively still do some, some, a lot of things. Now there's a third ruling that the Supreme Court made, and I think this hurts even as much or more than affirmative action. And people aren't paying attention to it. Affirmative action can deny emissions, but the battling against Joe Biden wanting to forgive student loans 
does even more damage. These are African-American students who are going, who have already gone and graduated from college, be it PWI or HBCU. And the statistics show that we struggle to pay back the debt more than other groups because we're the first generation. And so in some ways, the Supreme Court striking that down is an intention to keep minority students uh, further in debt and away from wealth to get to the wealth because it takes them longer to pay, pay off student loans. And I, I think we can't overlook that ruling as well by uh, the Supreme Court. Your thoughts, and Jim, on the student loan debt attack where they don't want to forgive any student loan debt. Dr. Kemp? You're absolutely right because um, as you said, Dr. Bird, you know, people, uh, especially first generation students, you know, just don't have the means to, to you know, continuously pay back um, the loans that they actually, you know, took out just to get their education, thinking that uh, the more education that you get, the, the higher your income would be. Therefore, you, you will be able to pay back you know, your student loans. But as we see that that definitely doesn't happen and them just striking down just even something that the government or President Biden can, can give to um, um, those with student loans just as an incentive for people to even want to pay back because at this point some you know i've heard of people they they'll say that i'm not even gonna pay on my student loans you know and that's hurting everybody so um again once again hopefully this is something that we can definitely get around um because those that have actually um those that are actually um investing in such places such as Sally Mae's and you know some of the other companies um, that benefit from those that are paying back student loans they are the ones that's benefiting you know the most not the students who actually went in and got the education um, trying to pay back the loans absolutely we'll keep an eye on this we'll keep this topic up as Jim says Congress members got their PP loans forgiven isn't that amazing amazing mm -hmm. we will continue to follow this story, okay? Let's get back to sports. Recently, Caitlin Clark, this past week, from Iowa, received the Collegiate Women Athlete of the Year. Now, this is the best athlete in the country from all sports, and uh, she deserves it. She was the College Basketball or Women's Player of the Year. Of course, they lost to LSU in the finals, but she's a rising junior, and she scored over 1,000 points and 300 assists in the same season this year. Uh, the runner-up, Texas senior volleyball player Logan Eagleston, who's a legend, and Stanford sophomore golfer Rose Zhang. But uh, Caitlin Clark, you know, uh, people make a lot about the hand gesture and the, her and the LSU players, but that's the media. As far as a basketball player, she is – the best returning player returning in college basketball. By the way, the year before that award was won by Aaliyah Boston. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts on Caitlin Clark and Jim, type it in the chat. <clears throat> Excuse me. I can't wait for, for the season to start back because you know she is going to be gunning 
for that championship. She's going to be throwing up threes from everywhere <laughs> in the building. So it's going to be interesting just to see um, what she does this year, her in Iowa. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, she, she's a great player. Let's, let's yeah, not get it twisted. She's a great player. Yeah. Kim Mulkey said, um, yeah, Kim Mulkey said she's a once-in-a-generation player, and I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. She is. Mm -hmm. All righty. So let's give it up. Caitlin Clark, what's up? Alrighty. Now, in uh, HBCU News, there's been an award given, uh, the Big House Games Award. And this award winner goes to one of them, Tynesha Lewis. She's the women's head coach at Elizabeth City State University in North Carolina. And uh, if you remember, they won the CIAA tournament this year. Uh, they had a record of 20 and 11 and it's the team's first championship in about 13 to 14 years or so. And she came in and turned that program around immediately. Uh, Miss Lewis, the coach, is from North Carolina. She has two bachelor's degrees. She's a four-time All-ACC player and was a graduate assistant in North Carolina State. She also played in the WM for six years, and she coached at Illinois State and North Carolina Central. She also has earned two master's degrees so this is a very intelligent young coach in her second year and uh she's just gonna go on to do bigger and better things at elizabeth city state and beyond so one more time tanisha lewis great job go viking elizabeth city state yeah What's your thoughts, Dr. Kemp, on this young coach? That's nice. That's very nice. Um, way to go, Coach Lewis. We're proud of you. Um, she's back in her home, you know, her home state, just doing some things, you know, for Elizabeth City State. So um, I think it's great. And she has a lot to offer and bring to her student athletes. So Yep. Yep. And Jim commented that the Reese Clark matchup is a must see for TV this year. I agree with that. Okay. I agree with that. All righty. And we have, I just see the name, K-K-A-A-K-A Mashadi. Welcome to the show. I just see the letters there and everyone else listening in. All right. Now, volleyball. We have a new coach. It's interesting. Delaware State won the MEAC Volleyball Championship for the first time in 37 seasons last year. But their coach <coughs> moved on to East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, right? But the coach they received, David Brooks, led Elizabeth City State in the CIAA to the championship. And now he's moved up and coming to the MEAC, the Delaware State, to be their coach. And uh, Elizabeth City State, they won the CIAA in volleyball for the first time in the last 13 or 14 years. So Coach uh, Brooks is coming to help them uh, keep this on. And Brooks is replacing Bruce Atkinson. That's the name of the coach last year who's going to East Tennessee State. So Elizabeth City State doing it in basketball. Elizabeth City State doing it in volleyball. Go mm -hmm. Vikings. 
Marlo, what do you think about that? Losing a championship coach and picking up a championship coach. <laughs> one, door, one door open, one door closed, another one open. So they're just bringing them in just to keep the championships coming. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a great job by the athletic director mm -hmm. uh, to be able to manage that way. And so, uh, Elizabeth City Vikings, you are to be applauded. All righty. Now, big matchup. <clears throat> Big matchup the other night in the uh, WNBA. You know, uh, Dawn Staley has her name written all over this league. And the uh, Las Vegas Aces played the Indiana Fever. But the big matchup we're going to see for a while is Aaliyah Boston versus Asia Wilson. Asia's been a league MVP and a champion. Aaliyah Boston is projected, and she's on her way to be a rookie of the year. The Aces won the game, but in the head, head matchup, Aaliyah had 20 points, Asia had 24. I think Aaliyah Boston was 14 or 13 to 10 in the rebounding edge, and there were three assists apiece. Uh, Aaliyah says that Asia's like a big sister to her, but I just think that even though Dawn Staley's a guard, she has produced some post players, and, and she's putting her, her stamp all over the WNBA. Marlo, what do you think about Aaliyah Boston, Asia Wilson, two of the products, two champions in the last five to six years for Dawn Staley, now in the WNBA dominate. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's, that's she, she, I'm sure she's walking around with her chest out. <laughs> she, <laughs> she definitely deserve it because they, the, the, those ladies, they definitely, when you watch them play, they definitely, you know, come out to play. It's kind of like a continuation, you know, from what they were doing, um, you know, when they were playing in college. And um, it's, it's, it's nice to see them play. And it's, I'm glad that they're doing as well as they're doing. But it's yeah, nice to definitely see them. Yeah, absolutely. No drop off. Aaliyah Ball, Boston, Asia Wilson. We're going to go to a commercial. Let's give them a clap first. And then we're going to come back. We'll talk WNBA some more. And uh, we're going to talk about the world. Women coming up in about two minutes. All right, now. Alrighty. 
Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, on this 4th of July weekend featuring the absolute very best in all of women's athletics and HBCU sports. And so coming up, just a few weeks, as we promised you, we're going to make sure we cover the Women's World Cup of Soccer. It starts July 20th, and uh, they have 32 teams. There are eight different groups. They group it by letters. And uh, they play off between July 20th all the way down to August, about 5th. And then you're down to 16 teams. And once you get down to 16 teams, uh, they're a the single elimination, and they go from there. So starting out in Group E, United States will be playing uh, July 27th. Their first game will be against the Netherlands, okay? In this bracket, nope, nope, let me back up. Let me correct it. They'll be starting out playing on July 22nd against Vietnam, okay? And in this bracket or in this group, you have Vietnam and you have the United States, you have Netherlands, and you have Portugal, okay? So we'll see if they can come out of that, survive that, and get to August 5th when they're down to what they call the Sweet 16 of World Cup talk, Soccer, August 5th. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts? We're going to cover this thing big. What are your thoughts? Women's World Cup. This is huge. Yes, it is. I can't wait um, just to, to see you know, who's who's going to come out on top with some in some of these brackets because I didn't even know some of these countries had, uh, you know, football over there. And um, but I think it's it's, it's going to be really exciting just to, you know, see them play and see, you know, how they come out, um, you know, against each other. And it's I, I'm just wondering, it's interesting to see like how I wonder how they do their groupings you know, in terms of how they break down each country, you know, into the different, you know, groups, um, you know, for the matchups. So, yeah. I mean, I, I can't well, wait. Yeah, when well, they have those eight different groups of four, I mm -hmm. do know that the United States is going for the third championship. Yeah. I don't know if Megan Rapino will be back on his team. She was injured at the beginning of these tryouts this month, and I'm trying to keep up with that. So mm -hmm. we'll see. But uh, they've got some players, and they're ready to go. They're going for the third championship. And um, so we just play, pray, uh, pray that the United States women are ready. And uh, you got to battle. You got to be ready to play in that tournament there. So right. Women's World Cup. Yes. All righty. Now let's go on to the WNBA. Righty, and uh, let's talk about the standings, and then we'll talk about some injuries that are going on, some other things. But let's go into the standings first. In the conferences, the the Las Vegas Ace in the Western Conference are fifteen and one. They look unbeatable. In the second in the conference, the Dallas Wings are eight and eight. Minnesota Lynx seven and nine. Los Angeles Sparks seven and ten. Seattle Storm, 4 and 12, and Phoenix Mercury is struggling, three, uh, 3 and 12. Now, when you come to the East, just like everybody thought in the beginning, New York Liberty, 11 and 4. They dropped a head to head matchup to Las Vegas Ace in their first meeting last week. In fact, they got blown out by about 12 to 15. Second, 
Connecticut's son is 12 and 5. Their winning percentage is slightly less, but they've won more games. So them and New York are very tight. Third, Washington Mystics, 9 and 7. Chicago Sky, fourth in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta Dream, 7 and 8. And Reina Howard, last year's number one pick in the WNBA draft this past week, dropped the career high, 43 points in a game. So she can still ball it. And bringing up the rear, but much improved in the Eastern Conference, are the Indiana Fever with Aaliyah Boston, 5 and 11. Remember, they only won five games in all of last year. So the league is very competitive. And by the way, Aaliyah Boston is an all-star this year off of that team. So let's give it up for the teams. Now, I want to look at something that's affecting the season. Dr. Kemp, I'm going to get your thoughts on this. I'm going to start keeping up the injury report Injury report on some of our teams. Um, the Los Angeles Sparks will be doing a lot better. But Lexi Brown is out. Nia Clowden out. <clears throat> Didn't play Sunday. Lashia Clarendon is out. Marshall Taylor, the right. Planter Fascist. She's going to be out possibly four to eight weeks. You go to Minnesota League, so struggling. Natalie, Alcon Warner. A-C-H-O-N-W-A, okay? She's on maternity leave. Jessica Shepard, she was out the Saturday's game. Ariel Powers, ankle, still rehab. And Tiffany Mitchell, diagnosed with left wrist sprain, and they're going to miss a few weeks. So Minnesota's losing about five of their groups, okay? And then these are the two, New York Liberty. If these two players come back, I think it will give them depth to, to at least be able to compete down the line, the Las Vegas Ace. Stephanie Dolson, the former standout from UConn and, and started last year for the Liberty, uh, she has a bad ankle and she's going to miss a few weeks. But she gives them depth and center. And then there's Zan Zhu. She's about 66. She's from Asia. And she's playing for China in the Asia Cup right now. But she'll be back. Soon should be because it says to July 2nd. Those two players can help give some depth to New York to when they face off against the Aces, anticipated matchup down the line. Uh, I think it's going to be a long, long journey for Phoenix. Skylar Diggins is out all year. She's pregnancy, so she won't be able to be that guard that's needed to help Diana Taurasi um, and Brittany Griner out there in, in Phoenix. So Now, one more thing. Washington Mystics, they're a team that is kind of in the middle of the pack. But Delana Donna, Elena Deladonna, their star, the veteran, out with ankle problems. She missed yesterday's game. Shakira Austin, the big center, is out. And so those two have to get back in order for them to get in uh, some some level of condition to make a run. And so that that's where we are. Dr. Kim, what are your thoughts on the WNBA? It's a 44-game season. We're 16 games in. All-Star break is around July 15th. Uh, the Aces, Las Vegas, and New York seem to be in front of everybody. But what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I was just listening. It's like, wow, it's like so many injuries, you know, not yep. just on, you know, on one team, just, you know, spread out throughout, you know, the league. And it's um, have they had a chance to – because don't some of them come back from playing overseas? And then, right you know, into the league. Right 
from playing, you know, for how many months over there. And it's kind of like they're not even giving their bodies a chance to kind of rest and, you know, and recover from, you know, playing over where they are, the time difference and, um, you know, who's to say that they are in the best, you know, condition. Um, they're, they're in condition with recovery time. And, and then your collegiate players who are here also had that time to recover. They go straight from March to training camp. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. So, so I think all of that plays a, a, a you know a role into you know possibly the injuries that we're seeing now because it yeah. just can't be a fluke that you know all of these players are you know out injured at one time. Yeah. So and, and the guards are playing thirty six games to forty four games, so there are more games now you've played in a more condensed time. So yeah, they're pushing it. Yeah, because they're playing several games a week. Um, no doubt. Two or three games a week now. Yeah, no doubt. So we'll keep an eye. The WNBA is progressing forward, and uh, we'll keep an eye. We're going to take a minute break, and then we're going to come back. We'll see if we can get Tim to help us with the men's sports, if we can get him audio. If not, we'll continue in the chat. But we'll take, um, take about two minutes. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best of all the women's athletics and HBCU sports. And again, welcome back on this 4th of July weekend or holiday. Now, in HBCU sports, Charles Barkley has made a donation to Jackson State University, I think a million dollars, and through to Bethune Cookman as well. Charles has been making some donations to HBCUs uh, recently, and I'm glad to see that. And um, this could help out quite a bit. Marlo, what are your thoughts? Charles Barkley, his donations? Yeah, Uh Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I think it's great um, that he's definitely stepping up and, you know, continuing to donate. Uh, I know last year, I remember he donated uh, to Spellman a million dollars. 
fund and other yeah. th- first donation to a uh, uh, women's women's college. So I mean, I think it's awesome. You know, we should, hopefully we can get some more. You know, um, people to definitely to donate as well, and, and even and not you know not just athletes or entertainers. You know, just you know ourselves those that went to hbcus and our friends we can just continue to give back you know as well well definitely with what's going on today the need for the funding is bigger than ever so hey shout out charles yes sir all right we talked about the women softball all spring but the men have just completed about a week ago the World Series championships in men's baseball in college. Kind of a blowout. LSU blew Florida out in the finals for the last game by about 17, 18 runs, Marlo. They were going around the bases like the pinball machines on them, you know. <laughs> they were. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I guess the Angel Reese and the LSU women have another group that's going to be cheering down there in Baton Rouge, and uh, they uh, represented well the SEC, and uh, I'm just happy for LSU. Great job. Well done. And they deserve all the applause that they get. Yeah. LSU Tigers. Now. You taking over for uh, Alabama. I said LSU taking over for Alabama. Well, it's the baseball. Well, yeah, in baseball. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, there's been the North Carolina A&T Aggies have been playing in the CAAA, Colonial Athletic Conference, for the last few years in football. They used to be, I believe, in the MAAC, but they transferred over. And, you know, during football season, we keep up not just with our HBCUs and our five conferences, but they've been doing pretty well over there in the CAA. Well, they have officially gained status as official team in the CAA Colonial Athletic Conference. So I want to say congratulations to representing HBCUs Wells, even in the Colonial Athletic Conference, North Carolina A&T Aggies. Yes. Now we often have to report the good with the with the other. And uh, Morgan State University is coming under some uh, investigation um, of some recruiting violations in in football. And they are going to um, lose some academic or some athletic eligibility. We're going to look into that and get get back to you more. But uh, we're still behind the Morgan State Bears. And we hope that everything gets cleared out there. So we'll, we'll follow up, we'll keep up Morgan State. You know what I mean? All right, we're behind you, Morgan, Morgan State. What's your thoughts, Marlo, Morgan State? I know we don't have a lot of information yet, but do you think the uh, pressures of transfer portal and trying to compete mm-hmm. just caught up with them? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. That's yeah. probably. I'm pretty sure that's probably a big issue, you know, with with um, not probably not just Morgan State could be, you know, a couple of other, you know, schools as well. So 
like you said, we'll just have to find out more information on what's going on with them and um, keep pushing more yeah. of the state. Keep pushing. All righty. Now, let's get into the world of professional baseball. We talk about it some. We have more time right now before we get back into school season. Tampa Bay's Tampa Rays are leading the American League. The Atlanta Braves leading the National League. And the Mets have the league's highest payroll are 11 games on the 500. <laughs> They're paying more money. <laughs> losing all the games. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. It happens. You know. Um, <laughs> but let's see. October. So we have this is July, August, September. About four more months. Four more months. Um, uh, Jim says the Morgan State had actually four impermissible softball trials. So that's why they're in trouble, not football, softball. Okay, thanks for clearing this up, Jim. So, again, we'll keep on Morgan State. Um, yeah, let's talk NBA. Let's talk NBA. Uh, there's a lot of movement going on right now, a lot of free agency going on. And uh, let's see if we can get some updates that are going on. Going on. Some of those updates are, let's talk about the Grizzlies, Memphis Grizzlies first. They have picked up uh, Jalen Rose, the veteran from New York Knicks. So he's going back to Memphis where he played his college ball. And uh, he's hopefully he could get some counseling from John Morant or some assistance, you know. And uh, that's going to be pretty good. Um the Sixers line Patrick Beverly to a young one-year deal. That's not that big of a deal. Uh, the team that really helped themselves out are the Los Angeles Lakers. They signed Cam Reddish uh, to a two-year deal. He's a tall shooting guard. Started out with Atlanta. Kid just played for Duke with Zion. Good player. They re-signed Drew Hachimura was a good player who helped them out last year for a three-year deal. Austin Reeves coming to a four-year deal. He made up some money this past year. And then they signed Jackson Hayes, who could give him some size and some rebounding and a little bit of win protection. So I think the Lakers really, really helped themselves out. Uh, also, let me go back. The Grizzlies, they also signed last week Marcus Smart in a three-team trade with the Wizards and Celtics. So they have Derrick Rose, Marcus Smart, and uh, they should be able to hold the fort down the first 25, 30 games. I forgot whatever job's going to be out and, and also help them down the line. So that's a good thing. The Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks, they re-signed Robin Lopez and they picked up his brother, Brooke, the two twin Lopez brothers. But the biggest thing is they re-signed scoring guard Chris Middleton, three more, three more years on a deal. That helps them out tremendously. Um, Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards, five-year extension. He's a dynamic player, taking number one in the NBA draft years ago. And uh, he's going to stay with Troy Brown, Jake Milton, also going to be with them for the next few years. And so the biggest pay cut came in the Clippers. Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, took a huge pay cut. I mean, $20 million pay cut to stay with him. But um, 
He wants to be in the league. He did well in the playoff series. He averaged 23 points. And if they can keep Kawhi Leonard and Paul George there with Russell, I think they're uh, going to be a very competitive team. So those are some of the quick rundown of deals that have been made, re-signings that have been made in the NBA. And uh, Marlon, what are your thoughts? A lot of movement. A lot of movement. What are your thoughts? And it Jim, was. put your it thoughts in the chat. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of movement. I could barely keep up with who was going where. <laughs> Why do they, and I guess, is that just to offset some of the money for like the new players or just keep them down under the salary cap? Is that why they have a lot of, seem like they, they're having a lot more movement this year um, than they have had in the previous years, or maybe I'm just not, you know, really keeping no. up. That's just Let me tell you the trend, and Jim, Jim can type in. But players today, even the good ones, um, nobody signs a 10-year contract. Larry Johnson, eight-year eight contract. Everybody signs a three, four, two at best. Lucky if you see a five. Even your stars. They want player options. They want the right to bid. You can no longer scare them into saying, well, my contract's up, so I'd rather have something long. No, they'd rather have something short, play well, and then leverage themselves again in three or four years. So this is going to be for a while. You know, uh, this reminds me of this big brother to the transfer portal, okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> College season in, you get all the movement, okay? Then it dies down. Then the NBA season ends, then you get all the movement, you know. So here we are. Now, Jim Jim has some good points here in the NBA. Damian Lillard asked for a trade from Portland, and uh, that's a different thought because for a while he wanted to have his whole career there. But uh, Damian can still play, and I hope he gets to the good team. Russell Westbrook, Namalo, check this out. He took a $43 million pay cut to stay with the Clippers. Yeah. So, hey. Wow. Yeah. He must, he, really, he, want, he must really want a championship ring or something. Well, <laughs> well, well Russell also had a tough time in Los Angeles as uh, prior to getting the Clippers. And, um, you know, with the way the league is, is going more shooter oriented, and Russell's not a dead knockdown shooter, I think he's in the right situation with the Clippers. So, hey, there he is. Now, our last guy, seems like he's traded every two or three years. James Harden, Jim says, will probably be traded from Philadelphia. You know, this happens every two or three years, you know? So, he's uh, going back to Houston. I get probably who knows, who knows, <laughs> who knows? yeah. <laughs> well, he may come back up here to New York. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, the other some other in the yeah, Seth Curry's signing with Dallas a few years. I think Kyrie Irving's remaining with Dallas. So hey, there you have it. We're gonna go to a break. Those are our NBA moves right now, and we're gonna come back. In about, uh, give us about a minute, okay? Thank you.
Welcome back. Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's athletics and HBCU sports. And um, before we move on, Jim says <laughs> they're probably trading James Harden to our New York Knicks up here. Oh, boy. Okay. So, listen, each week we've been talking about some sports stories um, over the last 20 to 30 years that have affected our country, affect the way we view sports, and the lessons learned. And we're going to continue that segment tonight. The first story I remember happened um, somewhere around 2007. And uh, NFL star Michael Vick had signed a $147 million contract with the Atlanta Falcons. He was in the prime of his career. And all of a sudden, he's arrested and convicted on a dogfighting ring. He would spend the next 23 months in a federal prison. Um, and even though he would make it back into the NFL and play for much less money, uh, a few years later, things were never the same. Marlo, you remember that story, Michael Vick? Yes, I do. I, I do remember that story because I actually thought that they were kidding, you know, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, with them just causing such a huge um, issue, you know, about the story. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a dog lover, pet lover. So, you know, not to, um, you know, go against, you know, what he did. But I actually thought that they were kidding when they, you know, just like really made a big deal out of um, the illegal, you know, dog fighting ring. And he actually went to prison. But I, I do remember, and I was just, you know, thankful. And we were all thankful that he was able to, you know, come back out and, you know, get his get a, his job back in in the uh, NFL and do as well yeah. as he did. Of course, he didn't make the money, the type of money, you know, that he probably would have. But at least they gave him another, you know, ch chance, and you know, he was back in the league. Yeah, I remember this story. Um... And even I was in Richmond at the time, mm -hmm. and I remember them bringing him to the courthouse, uh, which was out the block from where I was working. And um, the funny thing I say about this story is, number one, be careful who your friends are, okay? Mm -hmm. um, because the way that story broke, Michael Vick's so-called friends were stopped by the policeman speeding or something and all, they just started saying all about this dog fighting ring to get themselves out of trouble of course the police and fbi wanted their biggest fish michael vick was on the off season somewhere looking on tv watching the fbi go through his house like hey hold up so I, I i just say that you have to be careful your friends or who you think your friends are when you go to the top the other thing is it's so important to have a role model michael vick talked about he never had a father or someone to counter and tell him no and guide him. And even in incidents like this, so uh, as a grown football player, so, um, you know, lesson learned. Now, the bright side, if there's ever a way that prison was supposed to reform somebody and do what it's supposed to, it's Michael Vick. He came out, he was given the, um, he never blamed anybody else for his problems. He was given a second opportunity with the Philadelphia Eagles to at least clear up all of his debts and 
legal bills, and he went on to become an announcer on Fox for football. And he has a great book out called Finally Free, Finally Free. And I've read his book. I actually had a chance to meet him on a plane after that. He's a great guy. Uh, we're going to Norfolk, and I have to sit next to him or by him. But um, the Michael Vick story, that's when it touched us all. You know? I'm sorry. That's what What's the name of what was the name of the book again? It's called Finally Free. Finally Free. Michael Book, Michael Vick wrote that book. Um, James says, chat, Vick has made a total redemption story. He paid back all his fees and he returned to the league. I agree. If there's mm -hmm. ever a story of the way reform is supposed to work, it's the Michael Vick story. We want to welcome to all those engaged in our line tonight. And we'd like to welcome Mark Cooper out of North Carolina, great friend I had from Richmond, Virginia, him and his wife and his two young kids. So welcome to the show. Now, we have one more story. Maybe we can get to two of them. We'll get to two of them. This story shocked everybody. NFL, 1997, first round draft book, Ray Carruth to the North Carolina Panthers. And he would hire a hitman, and they killed his pregnant girlfriend. He spent close to 18 or 19 years in jail, and he was released a few years ago. Um, his son, Liv, that was shot by the hitman, has cerebral palsy, and was raised by the girl mother, his girlfriend's mother. Uh, we just got to think as young people. Marla, what's your thoughts on that story? That, that's shocking. What was your thoughts on that story? Yeah, I, I remember this story. And uh, it was just like unbelievable. You're just like, really? You, you know, you're thinking like, like what what were you thinking? Were you that mad and angry? Um, you know, you tend to think, you know, was the person that mad and angry enough where they wanted to, to you know, actually go out and, and hire someone you know, just just so they wouldn't have a child, or you know, like what what is going on? You know, it's just you just tend to just wonder, like what is actually going on, and and then your life is ruined. You know, he was in the NFL making money, you know, and, and his life is ruined. And he mm -hmm. another person's life, and family, you know, and 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 now the poor child is is you know has to grow up the way you know, that he's growing up uh, unnecessarily. And, and the, chi the child had brain damage or cerebral palsy or something caused by the shooting. Mm -hmm. And so he's asking for forgiveness. I, I read a story when he came out of prison and he just said he hopes that the mother, the grandmother, the mother of the girlfriend could forgive him because she raised his son. And um, he wanted to say, try to have a relationship with the child who was 17 or 18, but the grandmother said who had custody, he could never see the child again, not somebody who you tried to kill. So, you know, sometimes a moment of a decision or indecision can cost mm -hmm. us a lifetime of pain and those around us. Exactly. So I, I hope we learned our lesson from that one. Our third story, Sterling, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers from years ago, uh, was heard saying to his mistress on the phone 
about her hanging with black people, including Magic Johnson. And uh, this was Adam Silver, the new commissioner's first test. He had just became the commissioner. What are you gonna do about Sterling, Donald Sterling? And I remember the Clippers players, uh, well, everybody protested in some way or another, but uh, Adam Silver led the board and the other owners in the NBA to ban him and take his, he had forced him to sell his team as an owner. And uh, I thought this was Adam Silver's first big test and I thought he handled it well. And anybody could type in the chat uh, your comments. But Dr. Kent, what's your thoughts on that situation? You remember it? Oh yes, like it was yesterday. I mm -hmm. do remember that. And like you said, um, that was definitely a test because the world was watching at that point, you know, it's like, what are you going to do about this issue here? Um, and he, he did he did well, you know, with his decision um, because he should have been banned. And I'm glad that he was actually banned for life um, just for making the, you know, the comments that he made is just, uh, is, but again, once again, you just never know who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on Adam Silver uh, and Jim, you can type it in, anybody else in the chat. As a commissioner of the NBA, um, compared to David Stern, if you can. Um, I, I actually like both of the commissioners. And I think um, Adam Silver has definitely turned the NBA league. Um, I, like, I like the way he, he has... Um, made them come out looking more professional as professional athletes um, in comparison to previously. Because sometimes I think um, during, was it David Stern's era, you know, sometimes they started to get a little bit on the hand. Um, but but he has turned the league around and, and, and they have more of a positive light uh, reflected on them. And, and I like him as a young younger younger shall i say uh commissioner he tends mm -hmm. to relate you know to the players and and he keeps up with the you know the issues the social issues not to say that you know other commissioners hadn't um but i think he's more in tune and at least he tries to stay in tune with um, what's going on with the players and the world mm -hmm. let me say this here uh, james said that uh, donald sterling had to sell co-host james Odell says uh, Sterling had to sell the team, but he still became a billionaire after the sale. Well, that's fine, but he can't be in the NBA anymore. We'll take that. Uh, Silver has done an excellent job as commissioner, James uh, reports. And then Mark Cooper, North Carolina, says David Stern had a harder road because the league was turning into a cocaine, yes, it was, mm -hmm. haven. I remember that um, David Stern, to me, his turning point, was the three strikes and getting rid of superstar Michael Ray Richardson. And I think that's when he put his foot down and said, we're going to clean this league up. And I don't think you hear about cocaine much longer, much more. Um, so thank you, Mark, for that comment. One more thing. I do like Adam Silver's patience. Everybody was waiting for, what are you going to do about John Moran? And he patiently waited and waited till the finals was over, took his time, did a thorough investigation, 
And I think he handled John Moran's situation as well as he could, especially coming after the situation with John Moran so quickly did a mistake again. And uh, I do like Adam Silver's patience. I like the way he relates to the to the pace, to the players and the fans today. So again, we love this time of year. We get time another month. We're into HBCU football, volleyball, then basketball. But this time of year, we get a chance to uh, talk about many issues. James says a few more comments. Magic Burden Johnson Jordan came along at the right time to save the league. That's for sure. That's absolutely for sure. Absolutely for sure. Well, Dr. Kemp, I'm gonna let you give one more comment, then Mark in the chat, and then we'll close it out. Dr. Kemp. All right, we just want to say thank you everyone for listening in. And once again, please be safe this holiday weekend. Just watch the fireworks from your window if you can. Um, go to somebody's rooftop or uh, on a high, 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 a higher floor somewhere if you can, and, and watch some fireworks. And instead of barbecuing outside, just just throw some food in the oven. Just stay safe. And um, just thanks for listening, everyone. All righty. We'd like to thank our 13 listeners tonight. We're here in online. We also have our engagements for listening, another 38. We appreciate that. Mark Cooper says, not sure if it was patience on, Donald, on Adam Silver's part, uh, as it was not wanting a distraction from the finals. Talk about John Morant. But that, 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 that may be true. That may be true. All righty. Listen, the first Monday in August, we're going to start back with our guests, and we will have the commissioner, Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes, the dynamic commissioner of the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. We cover all five HBCU conferences extensively, and the first Monday, she will be on as our guest. She is dynamic, and she's growing that league by leaps and bounds. Uh, that league has Fisk University in it, uh, Mark Cooper's alma mater, Oakwood University's in it. And so uh, we're looking forward to Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes coming with us in August. Now, for our parent station, Mark Jones and Friends, every Wednesday night, you want more sports from 9 to 11 p.m., 9, 10 a.m., WFDF. Michigan, but they'll help. Uh, you can hear them worldwide. Okay. You have Mark, Jack, uh, Jim, who does double duty, Carl, and Luther. And I'm forgetting somebody, but I stop by there every now and then. And then Mark Jones has another show it's called Drop the Mic. Same station from 6 to 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. You want to hear it as well. They just started a few weeks ago. So we will see you back as usual. 168 hours from now. Not the Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everybody. <laughs>